Welcome to the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome to the Family Room, everybody. I'm John Gordon. I'm here with co-host Craig Wiesmeyer. Hey, buddy. We're missing our beloved Mari Cleveland this morning. She had, a, a, I think, a Bible study commitment, and so she couldn't be she with did. us. Yep. But, but we have a great show for you this morning. We're going to introduce to you someone that's been actually a great partner of our radio show. She works with Sophia Press. She's a publicity coordinator. I won't get all into her bio, but I'm excited because there's there's more. There's so much more. Um, Mary Beth is also a consecrated virgin, and we're going to talk about a favorite saint of a lot of people, St. Therese of Lisieux. And we are, I'm not sure when you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to the podcast versus live, but we're just coming off of the feast day of St. Therese um, this past uh, Sunday, I think it was. So it's it's perfect timing, in my opinion, Craig, yeah, it's a perfect time in our culture for this <laughs> message also, yeah? No, no, Absolutely. You know, the whole idea of living a little way and, and living simply and just loving our Lord is uh, a message I think we all need to be reminded Amen. of. Amen. Would you mind opening us in prayer? I'm happy to. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for these great doctors of the church, these teachers that open our hearts up to really how to best love you. And frankly, how simplicity in our lives is what you're calling us to. This is not a complicated walk. Help us to live simply, help us to love deeply, and help us to do the little mundane things in our lives with as much love as we possibly can. We just ask you to open our hearts during this uh, time of this discussion and uh, lead us ever deeper into your arms and into the love of you. I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The name Father, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Craig. Well, as I promised, we have a great guest this morning, Mary Beth Bracey. Mary Beth has been an awesome partner for Barb. For Well, Craig, I think you initially also had some connections there. But Barb, uh, my wife, Barb, puts all many of our interviews together. And Mary Beth has been an awesome partner helping us connect with really great resources. I think if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard we've had some really wonderful guests. And many of them are affiliated with Sophia Press. But, but it, that's just not all that Mary Beth does. She's a consecrated virgin in the Diocese of Ogdensburg, New York. So up in God's country, literally in the, my dad loved upstate New York. He raved about it. Of course, he was from Chicago. So <laughs> it was a low hurdle. But um, she's a writer and she'll tell you she's blessed to research uh, and, and speak almost exclusively on uh, aspects of Catholic spirituality. She's written books, Behold the Lamb, Bread of Life, The Little Way of Healing Love. I'll let Mary Beth talk a little bit more about that. But Today, we're going to focus on St. Therese of Lisieux. So, so Mary Beth, first off, welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning, and thanks for all your great help. Thank you very much. I'm really delighted to be here. So uh, tell us just a little bit about your faith life, how you got from, you don't have to start when the earth was a formless void, but like at some point after that, like how, how did you get to what you're doing now and all the awesome things that you've been able, you've been blessed to engage so I think to a, a large extent, it's really through the intercession of St. Therese. I was blessed to, I, I guess I would say, have her choose me mm. um, in, in terms of when I was looking for a confirmation saint, I was looking through a book of saints, and her picture attracted my attention. 
And as I read the description, I noticed a couple of things. We share the same birth date. And then also um, it sounded like a shortcut to heaven. And I said, I need to take this route and I need to follow this path <laughs> of spiritual childhood. So shortly thereafter, after my confirmation, I began writing and publishing things um, in different publications in the Catholic world. And so St. Therese kind of led me along my journey. And I think that also by doing that, it kind of helped me in my vocational discernment as well. And we've had a lot of twists and turns along the way. Um, but St. Therese has always been a wonderful older sister who has kind of said, okay, this is the way, walk in it, and no, not this way. So um, she, she's been a wonderful intercessor for my family, too. So uh, so it was really part of your confirmation. So you are a consecrated virgin, and you, you said that St. Therese helped you kind of find your, your or help you in discernment for your vocation. Talk a little bit about that, because that's not a very common path um, in much of today's culture, right? Right. Um, I think it's one of the best hidden vocations in the church, even though it's the oldest form of consecrated life. So when we talk about the women who are mentioned in the Eucharistic prayer, like Agnes and Agatha mm -hmm. and Cecilia and Lucy and so on, they were all consecrated virgins. So we live in imitation of Our Lady, who is the first consecrated virgin. Um, I think that St. Therese really led me, in a sense, from the beginning, because I first felt called to the consecrated life in some form when I actually went to World Youth Day in Denver um, a few moons ago. And at that point, I only knew about religious sisters. So at first, I came home, and I'm like, Mom, I need to quit high school, and I need to be a, a contemplative nun and, like St. Therese. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you need to finish high school first. Um, but... Anyway, uh, not too long after that, a few years after that, one of my best friends, who is now a priest, was in seminary, and he happened to send me this book by Father Thomas Dubay on consecrated virginity and the celibate life. And so I read about other types of the consecrated life in there, too. So over the years, I did look into different religious communities, and I thought that they were all really beautiful, and I was inspired by them. But God just kept leading me in this direction as well. So we've had, uh, we've had what, two or three other consecrated virgins, virgins visit with us. And I was always um, genuinely moved by their understanding of Jesus' role in their life as their spouse. Um, well, I think it's, it's also interesting when you think about, because, you know, you've got nuns and you've got that life and then the priesthood. And the world we live in today does not understand that. Because, right, everybody is called to marriage or everybody's called to dating. And frankly, it, you know, sorry, listeners, but a lot of times it focuses around sex, right? I mean, that's, that's what love is. Love is this natural, um, we share love by having sex. And the reality is you're talking about really giving your life to Christ and living a life that says, I am married to this spouse of mine and I'm willing to walk that path. A um, couple of questions that comes out uh, to me. Number one, how old were you when you made your confirmation? When I made my confirmation? Yes. 15. Okay, so you were a teenager in the midst of teenage stuff, made, made a decision then. And then the other question is, what is it like living as a consecrated? So living as a consecrated, I would say, is the greatest joy and I remember when I was actually just consecrated on Divine Mercy Sunday of this year. So it was a long journey and a beautiful journey. Um, but after I became consecrated, I kind of felt like St. Therese when she said, my God, you have fulfilled all my desires because it was 
um, as I mentioned, kind of a long discernment and, you know, sometimes different things along the way in terms of I helped care for family members who were sick and things like that. So um, I think that as far as being a consecrated, it's that certainty. And it's really, like you said, it's all about the mystical spousal relationship with our Lord. So it's the sense of belonging and the sense of feeling chosen and cherished by God. I also really love, speaking of Chicago, um, Cardinal George, the late Mm -hmm. Cardinal George, said that the priesthood shows us the love of Jesus for the church, and consecrated virgins are called to show us the love of the church for Jesus. And I think that's really something that all the baptized are called to. Um, Consecrated virgins do that maybe in in a more uh, public witness sort of sense, Um, but it's really something that we're all invited to. That's a beautiful statement because having young daughters or not so young anymore at 25, um, that's not what she's called to, but we can still all consecrate our hearts to Christ, right, and live live in that. Um, kind of kind of uh, digressing from the book uh, that we're about to talk about, I would like to travel the world, um, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce Guy's last name because I'm not a French major like you were, John. So I would how would just you, guess how would it would be Gigache, How would you pronounce uh, Bishop Emeritus? Yes. He probably says, say, say Guy or Guy, Guy Gaucher. Or maybe he says Guy Goucher. I don't know. Gaucher sounds better. That sounds like Tarjay. Um, question for you, and, and I know you mentioned it. You know, you, you chose her name. But talk a lot more about uh, St. Therese. Kind of give our listeners a little more of a background in, like, who she is and what's really attractive about her, not only to you, but why should the rest of us be attracted and really pay attention to this book? So today, or this year is actually a wonderful year to become acquainted with St. Therese because it's the 150th anniversary of her birth. And St. Therese was born in the Normandy region of France. She is the patroness of the co-patroness of the missions and also of France. And St. Therese really revolutionized, I would say, spirituality in the church in a very real sense because she was coming out of a period of Jansenism when there was a lot of focus on God's justice and not on his mercy. So St. Therese really reminded us that, yes, of course, God is just, um, but also he is infinitely merciful. And so we can approach him with confidence and with the trust of a child. And that's really, in a sense, the synthesis of the Gospels and of what doctors of the Church had taught previously. So St. Therese made that accessible for us. St. Therese is also somebody I think that everyone can relate to. And at first, some people might disagree with that statement, because if you pick up the beginning of Story of a Soul, some people might say, oh, that's too sentimental for me. I don't know if, if I really can relate to her. But when you really get to know about her life, you see that it wasn't always roses. Right. Um, she did have a lot of sufferings in her life as well. Her mother died of breast cancer when she was four. Not long after she entered the Carmel, her father developed dementia. Um, And then also she suffered, of course, from tuberculosis before her death at the age of 24. So she also had a tremendous trial of faith. So sometimes, especially in our culture today, it's easy to have doubts about God, maybe, or to um, feel a lot of anxiety about the world. So I think she's a really powerful intercessor for us in terms of developing that total surrender into God's merciful arms. She, so she, I know she will let you talk about um, what's in the book also about <clears throat> she wanted to be a missionary and she never left the Carmel. But I, 
I think that her conversion story, and maybe I should let you tell that because I don't know if I've got it right, but a lot of saints and a lot of people will talk about a conversion story where they had this just radically just dissolute life and all of a sudden there's a there's a conversion moment and and then they walk a new path you know with jesus and 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 they're powerful missionaries i think if i understand it correctly saint therese her conversion moment she will say was christmas eve one year i think she overheard her father talking about you know they had a kind of a family tradition of putting the gifts out and doing all these things and the kids would come down the stairs and be surprised and i think she overheard her father and older sister. Her father was saying, I just wish this was all, would all be done, that he was just doing it for Therese. And, and he w- it was just a pain, and he wished it would all be done. And, and I think she, she would cry for anything, as I, as I understand. Overly sensitive She's just child, overly yeah. sensitive child. So she hears this, like, really bad thing for her, from her perspective. For the rest of us, we're like, kind of, okay. But it was a conversion moment for her. I think that's like, that's really encouraging. Like you said, Mary Beth, to the saint for all people, for everybody. Because like most of us don't have these amazing conversion stories of we overcome something or some things or we continue to struggle. I mean, right. what are your thoughts? I don't even know if I got that 100% right, Mary Beth. So you should probably correct me and then comment. So I think that you did sum it up quite well. As you mentioned, it was on, she calls it the Christmas grace, and her father used to put presents in their stockings every year. At this time, she was 13, so he was kind of going, oh, this will be the last year. And her sister was thinking, oh, no, uh, you know, Therese is going to be so upset. There's going to be tears. But Therese just really composed herself and, by God's grace, you know, walked into the room, and she smiled, and she continued as if she hadn't heard the comment. And from that moment on, um, I, I shouldn't say that in some sense it was a conversion in the sense of maybe more emotional maturity. She had been through a lot at that point in her life already in terms of her grief and so on and so forth. Um, however, it, it was kind of, like you said, uh, bringing things to a whole new level. And from that point on, it was kind of just advancing from virtue to virtue more fully. Was she the, uh, just real quickly, and I may have this right, was she also healed by seeing the statue of our Virgin? Can you explain that? And before you do, uh, listeners, you're with us in the family room. Uh, You've got Craig and John today, no Mari. And uh, we're talking with Mary Beth Bracey uh, about St. Teresa of Lisieux. So, Mary Beth, did I get that? Again, you're the expert, not me. So did I get that right? Was she sickly and then Mary in a form of statue or something appeared to her? Yes, you are correct. Um, So she was sickly in part perhaps because she had never fully grieved the loss of her mother. Also, St. Therese does describe the spiritual component because she was having like hallucinations and high fevers and she was in her hallucinations, she was seeing like serpents coming after her. Um, And her family was really, I I don't want to say losing hope, but they were really very worried because she wasn't coming around to the doctor's treatments. They had a novena of masses said for her, um, and they were offering prayers like round the clock. And there was a beautiful statue of Our Lady in her room. And St. Therese said at the moment she was healed, she could see the Virgin smile. So St. Therese wrote in her poetry about the ravishing smile of Our Lady, and she really attributed the healing to Our Lady's intercession. Awesome. I love that story, yeah. It's a great one. So um, let's let's go into the book a little bit and then 
a couple other uh, re- related topics as, as we move along. But um, the book uh, from from Sophia Press, I would like to travel the world. Um, talk, tell us about that uh, a little bit, because I, I want to. There's, I think there's more in that book. If you say, well, here's a great book on St. Therese of Lisieux, you'd be like, okay, great. Is um, I don't know. I don't want to dismiss it. But there's actually some pretty, if you if you need a little bit of um, hope, wow. Hope no, well, encouragement. Hope, well, that's going to be there. But, I mean, if you got to be compelled to read something because there's a little bit of, like, spectacular in it, then I think uh, we there's some spectacular in the book, right? Definitely. So the book is comprised in, into three parts. The first part talks about St. Therese as the miracle worker, Mm -hmm. and it's miracles from the 1990s to the 2000s, and they're really amazing miracles um, that are testimonies from little children, um, doctors, agnostics, people who were really in desperate straits, and against all hope, um, St. Therese interceded for them but sometimes in very ordinary ways. Maybe they would pick up a, a relic in a, in a parking lot um, and they would bring it back to a hospital room and someone who was near death, they would touch the relics to their forehead and they would be revived and make a complete recovery. Um, so really, St. Therese interceded for people in a whole variety of different walks of life and faith journeys. Also in the second part of the book, it talks about why St. Therese's declaration as a doctor of the church is revolutionary. And then in the third part of the book, it talks about her relic tour. And at this point, she's visited over 30 countries and is continuing to visit countries worldwide. And just mass conversions, mass healings abound. And what's amazing, what I thought, was that this isn't stuff from 1895 and 1912. This is, what were the dates that you shared, Mary Beth? They're all from the 1990s into the 2000s. Wow. Why, why did you say a message of hope? Why did you go there right away? Good question. Sometimes things just come out of my mouth and I well, don't know. Well, they're good know. things. No, they're good things. <laughs> no, I, th- I think because um, here's somebody that uh, was dead at 24, right? So she didn't live w- what we would consider a full life. A long but yet life, at the same yeah. time, she was also in a convent and never left the walls. But she decided to give herself fully to God and say, after I die, if I'm not mistaken, I still want to do works on earth and help bring souls to God. And the vision of hope is that, you know, here's somebody who is willing to give it all to our Lord, and he's still using her in modern day to bring people closer and closer to him in ordinary ways. That's how I'm taking this, you know, extraordinary events, right. But through ordinary means. And I know too often I'm always looking for that extraordinary, you know, something or other. And the extraordinary is the healing, but how just in faithfulness to God and doing what he wants, he will bring about whatever it is that he wants to bring about at the point in time that he wants to bring it about. So to me, that's the hope that, um, you know, the the church triumphant, I guess it is, in heaven is still so active with us here today, but we don't always recognize it. So was it the story of Naaman, the leper, and he went to Elijah and Elijah said, just go bathe in the Jordan River. 
Yep. And 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 they're like, no, it needs to be more complicated than that. It can't be just as simple as bathing in the Jordan River. I I feel like Saint Therese was kind of like just into that kind of. She she had very simple solutions. So. So, Mary Beth, talk, you, you know the saint really well. Uh, she's been an, an important part of your life. What about this book um, was so appealing to you or, or so relevant for you? I think so many things. Um, so Bishop Goucher selected these testimonies from thousands and thousands he received when he was bishop of her hometown in Lejeune. So he chose them because he thought that they were so remarkable uh, um, testimonies from doctors Sometimes it would be a testimony from a doctor whose little child was healed um, from scalding burns. And, like, a, a toddler would have St. Therese appear to them and recount to their mother, St. Therese appeared to me, and the mother would scratch her head and say, you don't even know who St. Therese is. How is that possible? Um, so things like that. Um, I think the other thing, so the, the first third of the book really does re- read like a novel, even though that they're testimonies, because they're just amazing, amazing stories. I think I learned also and appreciated more her role as a doctor of the church, because when she was declared a doctor of the church, she was only the third woman in the church who was declared a doctor. And I learned about how, for instance, so many theologians kind of scratched their heads and said, you know, Thomas Aquinas is a doctor of the church. What could a 24-year-old woman, you know, who never left a cloistered convent teach us about it? But really, um, as the spiritual authors will attest, she made the doctors of the church up to that time accessible and their spirituality something that we could all hope to attain to. Um, and then also just her relic tour and amazing, amazing conversions that sometimes it would be even non-Catholics who were just walking down the street who happened to see a crowd, followed the crowd, went into the church, encountered a picture of St. Therese or something about her and ended up going to confession or suddenly coming back to the church. So it's, it's really amazing to see, um, as the author of the book would talk about, this spontaneous evangelization and this storm of glory in terms of her intercession. How have you seen, just curious as you say that, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how have you seen her active specifically in your own life? I would say in, in many ways, um, like, sometimes people tend to talk about the more obvious forms of her intercession, like when somebody gives you, a, or when you receive a rose when you're praying a novena to her. So uh-huh. I've had things like that happen before. Like one time when I was praying about what college to go to, and at the end of my novena, this gentleman at church who I barely knew came up to me, and he's like, I just felt like I was supposed to give you this, and he gave me like a bouquet of roses. Oh, my gosh. And then other times I would say, like, maybe more subtle intercession around her feast day, for instance, Maybe I would have been praying and thought God was leading me in one direction, but then it would be this complete about face, and, and I would find out he was leading me in another direction as well. Um, so I think always St. Therese helps to strengthen faith and to overcome discouragement, too. I had a few nieces who were healed through her intercession. I have twin nieces who, when they were born, were a pound and a half each. Oh and the doctors geez. said they wouldn't live through the night. But they're turning 25 in December, and one of them is named after St. Therese, and the other is named after St. Catherine of Siena. So we really interceded um, for their healing. We asked St. Therese to intercede for them. And then a few years ago, one of my great nieces um, 
she developed something terrible with her lungs as a result to a reaction to an antibiotic, and she spent the better part of a year in a children's hospital in Pittsburgh, and she almost died several times. But my mother and I went to see her in ICU, and we brought a first-class relic of St. Therese, and her parents would hold it to her and pray over her. And now she's running around. She's full of joy. She's full of life, doesn't need any oxygen or anything to breathe with. So she, it's, it's just really amazing what St. Therese does in our lives. Those are great examples. And I think it's interesting, John, that, you know, a lot of the debate with um, our Protestant brothers and sisters is about, you know, how we idolize these people that aren't God or aren't Jesus. You know, why would you pray to them? And I think here's a prime example, even to us Catholics who, you know, are okay with that practice. You know, why? These are people that are alive. You know, they say, oh, you pray to dead people. Well, obviously, she's not dead. She seems quite alive in the world today, quite alive in your life. And somebody that was that close to God and actually now sits seeing the face of God. Yeah. Why wouldn't we go to them and ask for help in intercession? Not that Jesus isn't hearing us, but why not pile on with an army of people? It's uh, I have several thoughts about that, and, and we only have an hour, less than an hour at this point. But first off, <laughs> the Blessed Virgin and St. Therese and any other saint to whom you go for intercession, it's intercession. That means they are interceding. That's going between, right? Or it's not going to them for the miracle. You're going, so they all point back to Jesus, all of them, right? So there's that. The other challenge I have, and then I'll, I won't get us past past our break, but you and I were kidding about this the other day. Um, so if you go into a group of people, I don't care, men or women, and say, who's got a fantasy football team? Oh, a vast majority of the room raises their hands. And, you can, and they will give you details about why this quarterback, you know, why this, all, they put their team together very intentionally. And then say, all right, now, in the communion of saints, to whom do you go? Who's on your fantasy, who's on your fantasy salvation team? You're like, uh, uh, commun- communion? We, I do that. I do communion on Sunday. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm being mean-spirited when I say that. But, but, but no, I mean, I think true, it's though. a legitimate question. No, I think right? it's true, and, and, and the first place to look, I guess, is me in the mirror. I do not have a fantasy football team, but I think— um, But it I is think- interesting, too, when— those saints pick us during our confirmation, and there's that tie that's that's with them. So, uh, folks, we're heading into a break right now. When we come back, we will be continuing with Mary Beth Bracy talking about the book, I Would Like to Travel the World. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. You're pregnant? What are you going to do? This response puts abortion on the table. Although what are you going to do is a common response, this is not what you say when your friend tells you about her unplanned pregnancy. Women are created to nurture life. No woman truly wants to kill her own child. Unplanned pregnancies can be scary, 
74% of women who've had abortions say that if one person would have offered support to help them, they would have chosen life. This approach, congratulations, you'll be a great mother and I'll help you, can be just what she needed to hear. God sent you to help her. Call 1-800-712-HELP to find the closest free pregnancy center. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. I'm Father Tony Blunt from the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. This is one of my favorite prayers, the act of faith. Oh my God, I firmly believe that you are one God in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe your divine Son became man and died for our sins, and that he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe these and all the truths which the Holy Catholic Church teaches because you have revealed them who have eternal truth and wisdom who can neither deceive nor be deceived. In this faith, I intend to live and die. Amen. This is Lisa Popchek from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160 The Quest. Welcome back into the family room. Again, this is Craig Wiesmeyer with John Gordon and our guest, Mary Beth Bracey, talking about the life of St. Therese of Lisieux and the impact she's having in today's modern world, I guess is the best way to describe it. So as we do that, before we get back into the specifics of her story and, and yours, Mary Beth, what's something that in your life you would recount as a favorite family room memory that, that has happened to you as a child or even in in today's time so i guess i would say that i have i come from a family with four brothers and my dad was kind of the biggest kid of all in some respects so (laughs) he was always making jokes and things like that um he had a lot of wonderful qualities but being a cook was not one of them and i remember one thanksgiving when my mother had just had her gallbladder out, so she was really sick. I think she caught, like, pneumonia right after. <laughs> so she's in the living room, and she's, you know, trying to rest. And we're like, Mom, you know, we have it all under control in the kitchen. And I, I think that with the help of my elder brothers and stuff, it wasn't going so terribly until all of a sudden 
well, I won't say what my dad said, but all of a sudden there was an exclamation. <laughs> there was an exclamation from the kitchen, and there was a big thud. And my mom's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, oh, no, nothing, nothing. But the turkey had, like, landed on the floor. <laughs> and there was this big grease, grease spot on the floor. So I guess, yes, just moments like that. Um, <laughs> we call yeah. that floor spice. <laughs> That's called living in the messiness of life. Yeah. I like that, though. I used to help a family, a great family, when I was at Villanova. I would go work at their house for them. It was on the main line, so these were some wealthy folks, some awesome uh, people. And um, they would throw these really nice parties, and I would bartend for them. And so they had this huge roast, you know, like they have at the things where the chef comes in and he slices yeah. it. So they had a huge roast, and they had a St. Bernard. Need I say more? <laughs> There was a thud, and there was an expletive or two, and the dog was banished. And if you went to that party, I apologize. The roast was salvaged. <laughs> anyway, I, I identify. That's a great story. Glad I wasn't at that party. That was great. All right. So let's go into the book a little bit. You shared what I think is important. Not that that matters, but just because I think that there's some very interesting. You said it reads like a novel, which I think is important. Well, you can expose yourself to great things like that um, in that manner. That's good. What about other than the testimonies, some things that you thought in the book that were because you you are a copywriter. This isn't you're, you're just not peddling stuff. I mean, this, you are a, a sort of an authority on St. Therese. You do copywriting. You've done like the promotional things for Sophia Press. So in your professional opinion, share some things that you think are important about this book. I would like to travel the world. And maybe even why you think there's some irony in that. So I think, as you mentioned, because it's, it's not something that's going to make you fall asleep. It's really something that is very invigorating. And the beginning part definitely reads like a novel with the 17 modern day stories. Also, I think that in terms of St. Therese being a doctor of the church, it really kind of brings home how we can apply it in our everyday life as well. And just the other night I was reading about how St. Therese really made the writings of St. Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross accessible for us. It was in a way I never would have imagined because it was talking about how St. Teresa of Avila realized when she entered the convent that she couldn't practice any wondrous forms of virtue. She had to start off someplace small. And so she would fold the laundry that the other sisters had left behind. So she would just kind of quietly go about that and do it, and they wouldn't even realize who had done it. And so St. Therese adopted the same practice when she entered the convent. So I thought that was interesting because I felt like, okay, that's something that I could do in my everyday life, whether it's just a small little domestic task or little thing. I think that another thing that is really powerful, as you mentioned, is why, why is a book about somebody who never left home until she entered a cloistered convent titled, I Would Like to Travel the World. Right. And the quote comes from St. Therese's autobiography, Story of a Soul, when she says that she has the vocation of an apostle, and she wants to spread the gospel simultaneously to the Earth's remotest ends, to all five continents. And so she has really amazingly done that by God's grace through her relic no. tour, because he recounts on basically all of the five major continents where St. Therese has traveled. And it's not just to places like churches or convents or seminaries, but it's also to places like hospitals. Um, she even traveled to Dachau concentration camp. Mm. So they really brought her relics into some of the darkest corners of the world where people had experienced or are experiencing the greatest sufferings. 
and St. Therese interceded in such a powerful way. So there's some kind of hallmark, if you will, little things that St. Therese did as far as dealing with people and dealing with situations around her. Can you speak to some of those? Yes, I think that's an excellent point as well, because St. Therese didn't always have it easy in terms of, for instance, in her own convent, not long before she died, St. Therese, being in the infirmary, could overhear what some of the other sisters were saying outside the infirmary window. And they were saying, I don't know what we're going to write about her in her obituary because she never did anything significant. And so you can kind of just imagine being, you know, suffering incredibly and being prepared to die and hearing comments like that. But St. Therese would always fully surrender herself to God and these comments and things as well. And some of her sisters also, maybe not as dramatic, but would do like little things, of course, that we just sometimes do in our day-to-day life without really necessarily meaning to irritate other people, but they would be doing the laundry and they would splash dirty water in her face or things like that. Um, So just offering it up with a smile. And then she would go out of her way, though, also sometimes to help and to serve the community in terms of St. Therese would help this one sister who was elderly and grumpy and needed help from the chapel to the, um, to the refractory where they ate, she would, they would help, she would help her. And it was really a powerful testimony because not only did St. Therese, Therese help her as we sometimes might, you know, kind of grudgingly, but St. Therese did it with such a smile and with such care that the sister said, what do you see in me anyway? Why do you like me so much? So, things like that that St. Therese would do as well. I also read someplace recently that St. Therese, because she didn't complain um, when it came to food and was willing to eat whatever they put before her, that they would give her the leftovers, things that had been left around for a few days, or they would even give her the things like fish heads and stuff like that that most of us might not find really palatable. Mm. So she did offer up a lot of, I guess you could say, quote-unquote, little things um, in her convent and day-to-day life, too. The simple things, right? I mean, again, we're not talking about, you know, her walking a thousand miles with no shoes on and and, and intentionally doing it. It's simply living the life that kind of gets thrown at us that in a convent in particular, you would not expect that kind of treatment of one nun for the other one. I mean, sisters are human, too. I mean, I did time in formation and, you know, they were holy men, but. Well, you can imagine the apostles perfect. picking on each other and doing the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But just to live that kind of holiness. Um, side question for you, too. Um, one of the quotes, or at least one of the thoughts in the book is how St. Therese became God's spokesperson. How would you define that from her life? How was she God's spokesperson? She never left the convent. I think that in terms of how she treated others, in terms also of her writings, because she not only wrote her autobiography under obedience to her superiors, but she also wrote poetry, she wrote plays, and she left behind innumerable letters, both to her family members and friends, but also to missionaries who she really helped encourage in their vocations. She was assigned to certain missionaries when they were seminarians sometimes, and some of them went through really difficult times where they doubted God's mercy, but it was... I think that's the predominant message of St. Therese, really, is she promotes God's mercy and the confidence we should have in him. So she does it both directly 
through her writings, but also through her, her faith witness by being merciful toward other people as well. What an example, though, you think about confidence in God. In my humanity, I don't have that kind of confidence in God. If somebody's handing me fish heads when I'm supposed to be eating something better, I'd be like, you know, why why'd you reject me? Why don't you love me? Instead, as we've talked about on this show before, you know, really submitting to God's will and just saying, you're allowing this for my purification. And again, you know, you don't see the impact of her life fully until after she passes. And now you're really seeing it, or you have now, but really seeing the, the blessings of a life lived totally in God's will. Well, I, I want to get in a minute to um, why this is, I think, a relevant topic, uh, not just because of its proximity to the feast day of St. Therese, but a relevant topic given um, our current culture situation in, in, in life in a post-Christian era. Um, before we get to that, though, <clears throat> I think, Mary Beth, one of the things that you said about this book was that, that you, th- you felt that the book encourages readers to live in confidence and an intimate spiritual childhood. Um, and then quotes uh, Saint Pope, uh, Pope St. Pius X, the great, who Pope St. Pius X called one of the greatest uh, saints of modern times. How do you think, because we, or I, don't put that on you, Craig, but I love like to get, to go from the ethereal to the practical. I like to see a connection, like, okay, great. We heard all these great things from Mary Beth. Now what? Or we read this great book uh, from... Uh, Bishop Goucher, but what? What in that book do you think kind of helps people to get to that point or to bring those practices into their life? So I would say that sometimes, at least I know in in my own life, I tend to complicate things. So again, returning to that simplicity of imitating Jesus and following him like a little child and instead of trying to rely on myself like a Wonder Woman superhero and putting everything on myself to, to let God do the heavy lifting and to really come to him like little children, as St. Therese says. Now, how can you do that practically? So St. Therese does give us, you know, amazing examples. And it's so interesting, I think, that in all of these uh, healings that she intercedes for in the book, that all of the people didn't just, you know, it wasn't like this one-and-done moment but St. Therese interceded for them to really change their lives. If they weren't already living a faithful life, then maybe they began, if they had, weren't going to Sunday Mass, going back to Sunday Mass. If they were going to Sunday Mass, then maybe they went more frequently in developing an intimate prayer life with our Lord. So I think that's ultimately what St. Therese wants, because she said she would not rest until everyone entered heaven. So she really intercedes for us to develop that trust, to develop that confidence, and to have that prayerful relationship and that trust in our Lord as well. Thank you. Folks, if you're just joining us, you're in the family room. We're here with Mary Beth Bracey. Uh, Mary Beth is a consecrated virgin, and she works with Sophia Press and and has been a super partner for our radio show, but also is uh, spending some time with us on St. Therese of the Shoe. Uh, Mary Beth, we're talking about the practical, right? I think that this topic... I hate to be one of those guys that says, well, nowadays we really, but I mean, if you look around, pay attention to what's going on around, there, everything feels overwhelming. It's like there's nothing I can do as an individual to, 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 to stem this tide, this overwhelming tide of, of darkness and, and just a, a totally different worldview from what we're accustomed to. 
I want to focus on the little things. So like you shared, you shared, um, you know, this from St. Therese, you know, doing the laundry, eating the leftovers or the fish heads, or we're taking care <laughs> of the nun who, um, you know, who was cranky and, and grumpy. I think the challenge for us is, I can't speak for you or Dave or you, Mary Beth, Clearly, Mary Beth, you've made a commitment, uh, a, a major commitment in, in, in being a consecrated virgin. But today, tomorrow, what is, who is that person? What is that scenario that just, I could, I could give you a list right now. I could start writing. And, and if you kept talking, you'd finish the show before I was done my list. Of, that's true. <laughs> of things that just get under my skin and make me want to lose my mind. I know just this kind, gentle guy, I can have a pretty sharp tongue and sharp elbows. Yeah. And, and yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> He's here for my humility, folks. <laughs> Thank no, you, but, No, but I think what you're bringing up is, is, is very practical, as we say. Yes. Because I think we can be overwhelmed when you look around and you say, you know, if I'm really deep into my faith, Lord, what can I do in this huge scale to make a change and, you know, go write a book or go be an evangelist? Or you sit back and say, look, I'm raising three little kids. I can't get out of this world. I'm changing diapers or I'm dealing with this. Or as we've talked about, you know, look, at I'm working this, this job and I'm providing for my family. Um, yeah, how do you look at a saint like St. Teresa and say, all right, how do I live that simple life where God has planted me? Right. And that kind of where you're. That's exactly where I'm going. So like without naming names. Like I can think of people in certain departments whose job it is to do certain things and the manner in which they do them annoy me. <laughs> Mary Beth, see, we have the benefit of seeing Mary Beth through our link here. You all can't see her. She's nodding vigorously. So sure, tell, share a little, share your thoughts on that, Mary Beth. Well, I think that what you're saying is really important. And I think that it's easy for many of us, if we're honest, to blow our stacks or to get really irritated, at least internally, mm -hmm. when people do those things or don't do those things that frustrate us immensely. So I, one of the quotes from St. Therese that comes to my mind is she said something to the effect of, if you pick up a pin for love of God, you can help save a soul. So it doesn't have to be something extraordinary. It could be, and in fact, she does talk about how sometimes the greatest sacrifice we can offer for our Lord and to help save souls is to simply bite our tongue when we really want to, you know, let the other person have it. Um, so it, it's those moments that really can be much more difficult than sometimes those, you know, single acts of heroism um, when we just kind of have to, I guess you could say, train our will, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And But also the thing I love about St. Therese is she realizes that we're going to blow it. She realizes that we're not perfect, so that we just need to turn to God through every failure, through every fall, and rely on his mercy and be reconciled with him as well, and that he always accepts us as a loving father with open arms. So you said something that jogged the memory for me. So I work in a, in a, in a pretty big company, and I've worked for multiple CEOs, multiple leaders. One CEO in particular comes to mind. And he, every morning, had a little stack of postcards. They had the company's, you know, logo embossed in them. Just a, like a postcard. Every morning, he would write, handwrite notes 
to somebody who had done something for him the day before or somebody, something he learned about and, and, and you just wanted to recognize him. It was two or three sentences, but it was, it was handwritten. Um, I actually had a funny story. He wrote one to a guy that worked with me and he, the guy finally fessed up to this and asked the gentleman for if he would mind rewriting the note. He said, I didn't believe it was real, so I put it underwater to see if the ink would run, and it ran. And I'm like, you big monkey, why did you do that? And the gentleman actually wrote another note for him. But um, I, I say all that because if you're, it's, it's kind of like um, in your faith walk, if you're trying to build muscle mass, you, you, you just do some things and some exercises, right? If it's really hard... For, so I'm just sharing my own weakness. So it's really hard for me sometimes not to be annoyed or to be kind in those difficult situations. So how you prime the pump is you write that note every morning. So when you said pick up a pen to save a soul, how many times have you thought about people or read about people where somebody wrote a little note and stuck it in somebody's locker or said something just in passing, and then that kid writes a note 20 years later and said, you don't know it, but but that night I was going home to take my life, right? And that note changed it. So I, I, I think you make a great point. And I think it's a way to prime the pump, right? If you can't be nice, just try practicing something nice. I don't know. That was just a thought that came when you said pick up a pen, right? We don't have to do great things. Hey, thanks for doing that for me yesterday. Yes, definitely. And actually, it's, it's probably my, my upstate New York accent, accent but I meant P-I-N, pin, as in like um, if somebody drops a, like a oh, sewing a pin. pin or something on the floor. That was the I, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes, but I love what you said. And I think what you said is so important because sometimes when we think about, you know, maybe doing penance or things like that, we think of these really grand, very difficult things. But developing like a quote-unquote practical positive penance, like writing a note of gratitude or even saying just an encouraging word to somebody every day that is really counting our blessings. No. I think are all things that St. Therese and the doctors of the church who went before her would really say would be very effective. Yeah, and that's funny because um, earlier you talked about, you know, being humble and talking about sharp tongue and sharp elbows, and I make you look like a, a an altar boy compared to how you are really uh, sharp-tongued. You're very witted, but you're not as sarcastic and, and nasty as I can be. But catch, I think that's... Catch a, me in a finance movie. <laughs> But I think, it, to your point, though, I think that's where, you know, that relationship with God every single day sitting with him, like a, but like a father, you know, he just kind of puts his hand on your shoulder and is like, hey, man, you're better than that. Not like you're terrible, you're awful. I mean, uh, Mary Beth, you said, we're going to make mistakes. St. Therese, no, we were going to make mistakes. And it's, but it's that hand that says, you know what, it's okay. But you got to stop doing that. Would you, would you just curb that a little bit and, and become better and that, those are the most difficult ones especially in my life if you are married mm -hmm. and you've got kids because or or even our spouses because we can be so close to them but because we're so close we can also be irritated by the little things and for saint therese to say you know just pick up something daily and do the little things i mean i think that's that's a huge reminder to me anyway that like you said, Mary Beth, it's not the big things, right? It's those little tiny things that are going to make a difference. Smiling when I don't want to smile or talking to the person that I'm like, I would rather not see this person the rest of my life. But every time I turn a corner, God keeps putting them there for a reason. And it's not to irritate me, as you say, John. Correct. So two two quick things, because uh, I don't want to get us run out of time here. Number one, uh, Mary Beth, you have a blog called The Little Way, correct? Yes. 
and and so that's a good place um, for folks to go to read up more on the thoughts and insights um, that you have and share. Correct? Definitely. If they just type in the little way in my name, they can find it. Okay, so it's the little way, and then Mary Beth Bracy, B R A C Y, and then um, I really do uh, want to encourage people to like read this book or look at this book because. I have no vested interest in it other than if you can just get to that point where where it helps make sense of all the little annoying things. I think it's a powerful tool. Uh, I, just, I think you should take advantage of whatever is out there in those things because there's all kinds of self-help stuff. There's all kinds of do this, do this, do this, and, and where I really need the help. And so I'm probably projecting my own weakness here on everybody, so I apologize. But where I want that help, where I need that help is in those little things where – you know, your your mind goes one way and, you know, your heart needs to go another. So anyway, so, Mary Beth, if somebody wanted to get the book, where would they go? What's the best resource to get the book and other books? Sure. SophiaInstitute.com or any place where great Catholic books are sold. So SophiaInstitute.com. Because you have partnered with us so well, I'd like to tell people to no, use that great. as your primary resource. Yes. No, I, and and I, I guess I'll say it on the air, and then Barb knows I did it. She's, Barb is most grateful for all the help that you've given her because uh, she gets behind us on all this stuff. So yeah, uh, she's, very, she's very grateful for that. All right, last question, and then uh, we'll wrap up. Is there a particular part of this book or maybe even something else you should share? Like if you said, hey, I want to leave people with one of my favorite thoughts about St. Therese, what would that be? I think that it's always been impressive to me how St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta chose her name after St. Therese and how Mother Teresa really encapsulates spirituality by saying that, you know, we're not called to do great things, but small things with great love. And so I think that's something, as you mentioned, that as we apply it to our day-to-day life, that we can really hold on to. Awesome. So um, so we'll recap really quickly, and then uh, maybe, uh, Mary Beth, not maybe, we will ask you to close us with a prayer. Um, so just um, The Little Way, a blog, The Little Way, Mary Beth Bracey, and SophiaInstitute.com. Did I say that right? Yep. SophiaInstitute.com. Great resources. Um, Mary Beth, would you close us in a prayer, please? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. Therese. You remind us of our call to come to God with total confidence as his children. Please intercede for us to imitate your way of spiritual surrender and to follow God in our day-to-day life. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, Mary Beth, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thanks for all the support that you give to our show. And thank you for um, the great resource and for your insights into St. Therese. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And now we're going to have Mari close the show in her awesome and traditional fashion. Thank you all so much for being with us here this week in the family room. Please join us again here next week where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.